the demands of the OCD, the person who's experiencing it, the demands are often irrational. They're really powerful. The person with OCD isn't doing it on purpose. They're not trying to be this way. But if a family is not understanding or getting good help with a family member with OCD, everybody joins the cult. And then the goal is to not make waves. The goal is to listen to what the disorder wants so that there's not a problem. And clearly this family is now requiring that of this roommate as well. And not only is it impossible to do that, but that's bad treatment. That's a bad plan. It actually makes the disorder worse. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a fluster clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Robin, do you remember your roommates in college? I do. Yeah, actually, so... My daughter is going to be a senior in high school, so we're doing all the college stuff and touring colleges and hearing about roommate selection. It is a little different. In fact, I kind of think it's funny now in hindsight. My freshman roommate, I didn't have one because I requested a single. Oh, that was so novel of you. Well, and the other thing I thought about, I thought about this when we were on another episode. I was like, did I request a single from a place of anxiety and control? why did I request a single? And I had, and I did get a single and I was next door to a woman who also chose a single. And I have to say, she is probably listening right now to this episode and one of my dearest friends. So (laughs) for real. Yeah. So my freshman year, we were in entries, which meant that there were 16 of us, and it was a co-ed entry by floor. So imagine it's like a brownstone and we were sort of two rooms on each floor going up. And I was in a triple. It had two bedrooms and a living room. And I was in a room with one of the girls. And then the other girl had a single. We planned that halfway through the year, we would switch. But we never did because it was fine. And those two women now were such kind, sweet girls. Like they were so easy to live with. They ended up being next door neighbors. In Connecticut. Oh, that's a nice story, too. I just saw them recently at a college event, and they're just like very good, good friends. You know, as you say this, too, we're sort of starting out with somewhat rosy stories of freshman year, which I certainly had. But when I think of all those years in school, I was assigned other roommates. And even though I was lucky enough to live with some delightful women, There was one that had a pretty bad eating disorder that I would witness. You know, there were a couple of things that happened. Yeah, for sure. I have one friend, she told me her son's freshman roommate, he would wake up and the friend was sort of touching his toes. (laughs) Not his own toes. Isn't that weird? Okay. Well, that's like, I think, okay. So yes, living with other people at random And even if you chose them based on their social media profile, it is still at random. There's going to be a whole adventure happening within those cubic feet that it's good to start talking with your kids about how to manage it and how to expect the unexpected. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's interesting that has changed over the last few decades is that kids sharing a living space 
like a bedroom or sometimes even a bathroom with multiple people, that has become less frequent. There are a lot of kids who are going away to college and they've never lived in a small space where they had to share things in this way. It's true. I remember reading a study that the average square foot per family member in the United States continues to just keep increasing. People think of their ideal home, they just want as much space for each individual family member as they can possibly get is the goal. Yeah. So we've moved away from making sibling share rooms, unless you live in an urban apartment, where then you become masters of problem solving. Right. I was talking to one parent and she was talking about a friend and she said the son had found out that he got a single. And that was kind of a deal breaker for him. If he didn't get a single, he was not going to go to college. And what he said to her, he said, this is like you're walking down the street and you just randomly bump into somebody and then you decide that you're going to share a bedroom. That's weird. And I'm not doing it. Now, what I would push back against is that you're not just walking down the street and randomly, this is another person who's your age, who's also going to this college. So there's some vetting involved just in terms of the pool that you're picking from. But it does feel weird to sort of meet this person for the first time and then share this intimate space. For kids that feel shy, I mean, you're sharing a bathroom, maybe with 12 other people, you're sharing a bedroom, you've got to change you've had different sleep schedules. So there's all sorts of challenges that come up with this that are legitimate. The question is, is this an opportunity for kids to problem solve, to figure out what works and what doesn't, to make a change? Is this an opportunity for us to offer our kids probably for the first time situations that require of them a set of skills that is really helpful in life? I agree. I've had a lot of roommates because I was a summer camp kid. And then I did one summer program, a pre-college program, where I was assigned someone. In hindsight, it went really badly. I would even call her a bit of a bully. And I think about that and think about, well, was it really that hard to live with a young woman who was she and her friend that she made? They weren't my cup of tea. But I dealt with it. And I think that one of the things to think about going in with a roommate, it's almost like they're a colleague, not a best friend. So you think of like a roommate and sharing this dorm room, it's like a business. <laughs> so there's like a slight formality in a sense to go into something where it's like, I'd like to be a cordial colleague. I hope you're a cordial colleague. We're going to set the tone, but it's not a great place to go in without any boundaries. And I think that one of the things that's interesting is right now with schools, and not everybody has to opt into this, but you're trying to like matchmake. So they go on, you're going to pick a roommate. It's sort of like a dating app for roommates. And I think that one of the interesting things that happens with that is that it increases the expectation that this person is going to be your perfect fit that you have found somebody who is going to work for you. And then if you're not as compatible as you thought based on your interactions on social media, if you do have some disagreements, it becomes even more difficult for kids to adjust and adapt. So there's some trickiness to this in terms of how high the expectations are. And I think I used to tell kids all the time, I used to say, look, this is a roommate. You have to get along with that person. But it's not necessary that they be your friend, that they be your best friend, that they be your buddy. I think with now the choosing that the expectations are sort of, it's flipping the other way, right? I have found somebody that's such a perfect fit. As you say this, 
in the old school way, and I still believe this happens at certain schools because I know not all schools allow you to kind of go out like a dating app kind of scenario, and they still do the assignments. But the questions that they asked, at least when we were going to school, I'm sure are still asked in this. Because it's not about if you're both Swifties or if you're both really into certain things, that's actually not the way that you put people together. And schools long knew that. It's about temperament. It's about personality. It's about living habits. It's great if you end up liking some of the same music, but that's not really how will you both be during exam week when you have to work really hard? How will you align in that way? So when you go to that whole social media sort of exploration of who was my fit, it's just all coming from a place of ego. Who is my match that is satisfying me egoically? I totally agree with you. Here's the attitude or here's the approach that I think is problematic is that you're trying to find the person that works for you rather than looking and saying, how can I be a good roommate or how do I get along with people that I have differences with? It becomes this person needs to be a good match for you. Right. We talk about this all the time. It's my biggest challenge. I talk about it with my kids all the time because I don't think a lot of adults think of this way. When you are looking for your friends from that place of ego, you are looking for someone to validate. You're drawn to people because they make you feel cooler, prettier, smarter. It's just not a good pattern. And some adults carry that pattern all the way into adulthood. You know, it's a click mentality. I hang out with these people and it makes me feel a certain way. It's a great idea if you haven't had that conversation yet with your kids to definitely have that conversation and think about who in their life do they really love being around. Yeah. And I think that another way to sort of frame that up is that when you're with somebody who's different than you are, how can you learn from that relationship, right? So it's not that you want somebody that fits perfectly with you. You want somebody who's interesting to you or somebody that you can learn something from or somebody that brings out the best in you or maybe brings out the worst in you. So you want to pay attention to that too. Right. It's putting external needs on the relationship that ideally you don't put externally. You should make yourself feel cool. You should make yourself feel smart. You should make yourself feel whatever. So don't put it out on the friends. Yeah. The other thing I see happen a lot too, and this is sort of supporting our case here, is that oftentimes there are schools where if you are on a sports team, the roommates are put together because they're both on the same team. Now, that sounds good and it can work out well logistically because you're getting up at the same time for practice, you have similar schedules, but I have seen a lot of conflict happen with that because you don't get a break from this identity that you have as the soccer player or as the football player or as the field hockey player, and you don't really expand beyond that allegiance, that click, so to speak. And when conflict happens between these roommates that are on the same team, they don't get a break from each other either because they're supposed to be teammates also. So they're roommates and they're teammates and they don't get the opportunity to spread out and to sort of diversify their social life. When I think of my freshman year and there were certain roommates that definitely didn't hang out in the same crowds and weren't interested in the same things, but they developed a really lovely compatibility and enjoyed living together. And I think that that was super healthy. But when we come back, we have a listener question that shows when things can go awry and things can be pretty challenging. Yeah. So what happens? Yeah. We're going to talk about what happens when things don't work. 
How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make, and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet, and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to Earth Breeze. Earth Breeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent, and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature, and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle, hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free, and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance. And guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O-T-T-A and use the code FLUSTER. Okay, we're back. Okay, Lynn. So we got a listener question that sounds like a whole Fluster Clucks episode. It's long, but the details are necessary. My freshman daughter has a roommate with OCD and anxiety. My daughter has been told she can't do this or that, etc. Recently, the roomie started liking the boy in the next dorm room and everyone is friends with him. But when my daughter posted a be real post with him, the roomie got so angry and told my daughter she couldn't talk to her until she spoke with her therapist. The therapist told her roomie to act like it's a bowl of marbles. My daughter would lose marbles because she posted with him. 
but she could gain marbles when she didn't hang out with him when she asked. My daughter has no interest in this boy, but now can't even say hi to him. My daughter walks on eggshells, and even the girl's sister calls my daughter to tell my daughter what to say and what not to say. Please help. Oh, boy. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what a Be Real photo is, there's an app where you just take a picture of what you're doing in the moment. So it's supposed to be a spontaneous sort of unscripted photo. So if you don't know, that's what she's referring to. Okay. So there's a lot here. Let me just say also that as a therapist, we get misquoted all the time. If the therapist said that it is the job of the roommate to earn marbles or lose marbles, right? I wouldn't say that as a therapist, but I also want to make sure that we know that maybe the therapist didn't actually say that because that seems like a really unhelpful thing for a therapist to say to somebody who's got OCD. This is one of the issues that comes up, and you should think about this both from the perspective of your child having a roommate or also your own child. If there is a significant mental health issue, if your child has a roommate, like Robin, you said that you had a roommate that had an eating disorder. I had that same experience. It wasn't a roommate. It was a suite of girls. And there was a girl that was very actively bulimic in our suite. Yeah, same here. Yeah. We couldn't help but hear it and see it and notice it. If you have a roommate that has a really active issue, so OCD, an eating disorder, they're depressed, they're having trouble with substance use. This is a time when you want your child to be able to come to you and also go to the people at school that are going to help with this because it is not fair to ask an 18-year-old, a 21-year-old to take that on. So what's happening in this question is that not only is this roommate being asked to deal with her roommate's very active OCD, but she's being told by family members and perhaps by the girl's therapist about how she is supposed to manage this girl's mental health issue. OCD is really difficult to deal with. We've done plenty of episodes on having a family member that has OCD. You can imagine how hard it would be to deal with that as a college student. So this would be a time in which I would absolutely have your daughter go to somebody at the school and say, this is untenable. This is what I'm being asked to do. This is what I am being told to do. And this disorder right now is actually impacting my ability to live, to go to school, to have relationships. I'm also struck by the fact that the family of this girl with OCD isn't really understanding how much they're accommodating it. And this is what happens. The OCD is in charge. If you've got a roommate who's got some significant issue, you need to go and get help from somebody at the school. And sometimes parents have to help with this as well. Let's pause for a second and give some context for listeners. Whether it's anxiety or OCD, there's a lot of dictation of behavior of what one can and can't do. And you talk about anxiety being the cult leader. But of course, OCD is absolutely like a cult leader on steroids. Correct. And the demands of the OCD, the person who's experiencing it, the demands are often irrational. They're really powerful. The person with OCD isn't doing it on purpose. They're not trying to be this way. But if a family is not 
understanding or getting good help with a family member with OCD, everybody joins the cult. And then the goal is to not make waves. The goal is to listen to what the disorder wants so that there's not a problem. And clearly this family is now requiring that of this roommate as well. And not only is it impossible to do that, but that's bad treatment. That's a bad plan. It actually makes the disorder worse. Right. So this disorder has gotten worse and worse for this young woman and the family manage it by accommodating it. Right. And now wants the roommate to accommodate it as well. So if you, as a listener, aren't really sure if you're accommodating, if you are in a similar scenario with anxiety or OCD, you have to ask yourself this trajectory, where will it stop? Yeah. And the the way I talk to clients about it, I say, so if we turn to the disorder and said, what do you think of this plan? If the disorder says, that sounds awesome, then you're on the wrong track. But this is what we do instinctively. We do it because in the short term, we want to help keep things peaceful. So maybe this family has this daughter with this OCD and the OCD has been running their family as well. And they're just trying to say to the roommate, like, just do what she says because it just makes it easier, right? So the sister of the girl with OCD is calling the roommate and is saying like, look, it just goes easier if you just do what the OCD says, like just don't break its rules because we know that goes terribly in our family. So remember, they're coming at it from a place of feeling like they are being controlled by the OCD and they don't know what else to do. Anxiety at a very high level and OCD, if you put them in charge, they are not responsible leaders. Correct. You do not want the OCD driving the family van. You know what I mean? Like it's just not going to end well. There's a flip side to this too that I want to talk about, which is that if you send your child off to college with the expectation that they're going to be able to be a good roommate and they have a active, difficult mental illness that's not being addressed, then that's a problem too. One of the things, and it's heartbreaking, and I've seen it happen many, many times, is that parents are just crossing their fingers and hoping that when their child goes off to college, that all of the issues that they were dealing with as this child was going through high school will go away. That the solution is send them off to college and then things will be fixed. And what you're doing when you send a child off to college and you haven't addressed this issue is that you are now putting the burden on the roommate or the people that they're living with. And that's a really, really hard position for families to be in. They want to be optimistic. They want their child to do okay. Oftentimes, the child is insisting that they go. So everybody sort of crosses their fingers and holds their breath that when they go off into this new environment, that things will get better. That's generally not what happens. Well, because I'm in this phase of college applications with my daughter, I'm in a Facebook group for parents that has hundreds of thousands of members that I've learned a lot from, Mm -hmm. as we all learn the best strategies for paying for college. It's a good group. Here's something that I observed in one of the posts. (laughs) And I really want to push fluster clucks in the group because there is a lot of anxiety in it. (laughs) I mean, so much. It's an anxious thing. I get it. I have seen this post of this theme a couple of times where a parent's actually describing the challenges that their son or daughter has experienced in high school, even suicidal ideation or mental health issues they've struggled with for their school, their grades. And then they talk about college where a couple of other parents will always say, 
are you sure that your child should be going to college next year rather than staying with you and focusing on their mental health and helping them improve their mental health. And those parents are like, nope, you graduate from high school and you go to college. And there's no thinking whatsoever about varying from that. And I think that that plays into this. It just literally doesn't occur to them yeah, that it might not be a good thing to go to college, but it actually might not. Right. And if we're focusing on sort of the impact of living with other people in close quarters and getting along with roommates, we really can see how difficult it is for people in your immediate orbit to know what to do. And so one way to think about this is Is my child ready to go off to college knowing that they are going to have to problem solve? They're going to have to collaborate. They're going to have to take responsibility. They're going to have to be flexible in terms of their schedule. They're going to have to be able to communicate with this person. And if you've got a child who's struggling so that they're not capable of doing those social things that that's something to think about too. Because I think that what I hear oftentimes is that parents are really sure that their child is going to be able to handle the academics of college, which absolutely may be true, but not really be able to handle the social aspects that show up very quickly and very powerfully in this situation. I think this is, again, one of those really painful situations, painful realizations that parents have But it's also really painful when you send your child off and things fall apart and you're not able to fix them or you don't know what to do. You're relying on the school to be able to step in. It just is not good to ignore this and send your child off into this environment where the impact on them and on other people can be so significant. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. 
I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. So now back to the show. If there's someone listening whose child is kind of fitting this description where their mental health struggles in high school have been very significant and that parent's listening now, what alternatives or what advice would you have for that parent? I really want to talk about prevention and what are the skills that you want to be paying attention to before they're a senior in high school as usual. But if you find yourself in this position, it is really okay. And I think maybe COVID made this a little easier because so many paths right from high school into college got disrupted anyway. So we sort of normalized. But taking time off between high school and college should be more accepted and more common. It should be more of the norm. There are a lot of kids who just don't have the basic skills in terms of autonomy or maturity, or they don't feel confident in their ability to handle social situations. It really is okay. So looking at alternatives that may include going to a community college or a local college and taking a few classes, having a year in which they work a job and maybe get some help that they need, finding a therapist if you haven't had one yet, finding a therapist where the stated goal is during this gap year, my son or daughter is going to work on these particular issues and these are the skills we want to develop before we enter college. Now, in terms of preventatively, you shouldn't just be thinking about that when you're finding yourself in this predicament. You really should be thinking about that as early as eighth or ninth grade. And I think there's a lot of emphasis on getting kids ready for the college application process. Like the whole goal becomes, I want my child to get accepted into a college rather than I want my child to be able to handle college. So we get a little short-sighted in what the goal of high school is without really looking at the bigger picture of what they're going to need when they actually get to the campus that they're going to be on. That's right. We actually did an episode on, is your kid really ready for college? Where you unpack a lot of these types of skills that we're discussing. Yeah. So you want to have those conversations. So you can go back and listen to that episode. But I think if we're talking concretely about whether or not your child is ready to live with a roommate, you really want to talk to them about that. You want to say, we don't know exactly who your roommate is going to be and how would you handle that situation. We were talking about this within our family. And my sister was reminding me that when she went off to college, her first semester had a really bad fit with a roommate. 
it just didn't work. And her good friend, who's still her friend now, also had a really bad fit with a roommate. And the two of them figured out how to change dorms for their second semester. They didn't end up being roommates together, but I don't think my parents had anything to do with it, actually. Being able to talk to your kids about this kind of problem solving, what do you do if you have a roommate that's really difficult? How do you have those conversations? What are the things that are available to them to fix the situation? And do some preemptive problem solving with them. Here's the other thing too. I see an enormous amount of kids asking for singles. And I even was talking to one college person that she said that they're really in a pickle because they have converted classrooms to singles. This was before COVID, actually. They have no space on campus, she told me, to accommodate all these kids that are requesting singles. A single is not necessarily a good option for a lot of people going into college, particularly If you tend to be socially anxious, those are the kids that are most likely to request a single, and those may be the kids that are least helped by a single because they don't have another person there who's going to help them go to dinner, that's going to help them join clubs, that's going to be sort of a companion as they move through the beginning weeks of college. If you've got a child that tends to isolate, who has difficulty connecting with people, putting them in a situation in which they are disconnected and isolated may not be the best option. So you want to think about that before you go for this single thing. And the other thing here, let me just say this cynically, a lot of people are requesting singles because they would prefer to have a room to themselves because they've always had a room to themselves and are using, in some ways, this accommodation as a way to get their own dorm room in a way that really is just not what it's meant for. Sure. I mean, I think that the parents and the kid may just want to be avoiding a roommate situation as opposed to allowing the roommate situation to become a teacher of some kind. Correct. And I think that that's kind of the bottom line is that if you talk to people our age and probably younger, right? And we didn't have a say in our roommates and there were all sorts of interesting roommate situations. My older son had a single, just assigned a single his freshman year. I don't really think that was the best situation for him. He was super lonely. I didn't think that was great. My younger son had a very tricky roommate situation his first semester freshman year. And he independently, without even letting me know, found a different place to live. So we want to make sure that our kids are able to step in and handle difficult living situations in all sorts of different ways. Here's the question to ask as you're sending your child off to college. Have you taught them how to solve problems? Have you taught them how to communicate? Have you taught them how to compromise? Have you taught them how to figure out how to ask for help when help is needed? Those are the really key skills that I'm sure I talked about in that other episode. Making sure that when they step into this situation, that it's not going to be your job to solve it when it becomes problematic. If you are the parent that steps in really quickly to solve all your kids' problems, you've got to recognize that you are not giving them the opportunity to figure things out. And you want to start that early, my friends. You don't want to start that September of their freshman year in college. I'm going to speak up for the positives of singles for a second. I had a fabulous experience having a single, and I appreciate there are a lot of scenarios 
that it's not a good choice. But if your child requests a single and your child has already had a lot of roommate situations under their belt that they've navigated just fine, and they've already like proven themselves that they can manage that, and you also know that your child is socially ready to go out. And I mean, I used my single to host parties, you know, so. <laughs> so if there's anybody who could successfully have a single, it would be Robin. <laughs> so, so I do think that there is a scenario where the right kid can benefit from a single because those roommate skills I sort of already had under my belt. And then I had roommates every other year and it went fine. Right. So I think understanding the difference is, have they earned the single versus, or do they still need roommate school? Right. And I think one of the ways to think about that is the desire for a single a way to accommodate and avoid some sort of anxiety, some sort of social struggle? Is it a way to avoid? It may be. And for example, if you've got a child who's on the spectrum, who's going off to college, it may be that they can do better with a single because it's too overwhelming for them in that environment. But you want to make sure that they also have ways to connect socially with other people, but they need a place where they can sort of be themselves and kind of have a break from the world because they get too overwhelmed. Introverts, for example, they fill up their bucket by being alone. You just want to make sure that if your child is shy and introverted, that they don't isolate. That's the issue. So do you need a place to go and fill up your bucket or are you isolating and not making any social connections, which we know leads to depression? Right. So it is nuanced, right? I'm not saying like singles are bad and being with roommates is good. I was saying that kid that somebody was talking to me about saying, if I don't get a single, I'm not going to college. Really? Yeah. That kid doesn't need a single. Yeah. That kid should, but the kid got a single. So now he's going to college, right? So I would imagine that there are going to be a lot of opportunities for this kid to sort of tolerate other people. And I hope he gets them. In other ways, because he's not getting them in this very rite of passage experience. That's right. One of the things that I am hearing from you and I love of the filter I put on because of what you've taught me and what you're teaching our listeners is to really think of so many key moments and experiences that are skill-based and to really unpack what are the skills to learn and to strengthen and to be obtained from certain experiences. Yeah. The other thing I think I heard you say too is that if your child's roommate has a mental health situation that is requiring your child to manage it in some way, that child does have the right to reach out. Yes. And they might be over 18 and I shouldn't be calling them a child. Well, but they're your child. And it might be that that's where you need to step in as a parent and help because that can be really overwhelming. Asking for help is a really, really important skill. And so if you've got a son or daughter who's in one of those situations and they come to you for help, you're going to help them. I wouldn't take over completely, but they may need guidance. Look, I've said this before. I ask my parents for advice and help all the time, and I'm a grown-ass woman who runs her own business. So it's really okay for your kids to come and ask for your help. And if a situation is really difficult, like the one with listener question, it really is okay for you as a parent to step in and assist your child with that. This is going to date me as well. How do we help kids develop the ability to tolerate people in their space and kids have their own rooms? I just think about when minivans came out, 
And the whole thing was like everybody got their own seat in the minivan. And then everybody had their own screen in the minivan. And parents were like, oh, this is so great because our kids don't have to interact with each other while we're driving. And everybody can put on their headphones and listen to their own show and be in their own bucket seat. And I just think that there was so much to be learned from sitting in the backseat with your siblings and trying to tolerate what they were doing and get along and just think that the more that we say to kids, you don't have to interact with people in a way that makes you at all uncomfortable. I really don't think that that's a very helpful life skill to interrupt. Let them be in those messy situations. It's like camp, like you going to camp, right? Yeah, but that's also, there are so many families where they will parent their children as siblings very differently and have different expectations of how much they have to do together and what they have to share. And you're so right. There are so many families that they might only have two kids, but they parent all the kids in silos. That's right. And then the kids don't know how to get along. Right. So all of those interactions, and it can be on sports teams, it can be with your siblings, it can be with your cousins, it can be going to camp. When I hear families say, my child has a really difficult time getting along with other people, so we have to construct an environment so they don't have to do that. That's like, ah, and then you think, okay, so here's the kid who's going to not go to college unless they get a single. So look for opportunities to teach your kids how to interact and how to deal with messy situations and how to have conversations that are problem solving, all that stuff. Look for opportunities to allow that to happen instead of swooping in. Sort of like when the kid gets put into a classroom and there's a kid in the classroom that they don't like. So the parent calls the school and says, you have to change the teacher assignment because I don't want my child to deal with that kid or deal with that teacher. All of that stuff sets kids up for the expectation that things need to go smoothly or else something must be done. And that's just not fair. And if you wake up and your roommate is touching your toes, then you should probably get another roommate. Or, you know, at first, what? here's my advice. First, tell them not to touch your toes. <laughs> Give them a chance. Right? Give them a chance. Like maybe in their family, there was a free toe touching philosophy, <laughs> right? Sleep with your ski boots on. That would be another approach. My mother never hugged me or kissed me, but she would touch my toes. Oh, God. (laughs) Everyone, Robin's making that up. That's not really true about Robin. (laughs) That's not really true. (laughs) If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community, and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. 
Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 